before I came up, I was on the phone with Sheriff Truman in Twin Peaks. He told me they are onto something from Laura Palmer's diary indicating two Coopers. And last night, I had another Monica Bellucci dream. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing part 14 of Twin Peaks The Return. This episode was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. It was directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on August 13th, 2017, unless you lived in Germany, (laughs) in which case it inadvertently first aired August 6th, 2017. On this episode, Gordon Cole gets in contact with the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department and has another Monica Bellucci dream. We're reacquainted with the Dale Cooper and Philip Jeffries of old. Chad gets nabbed. The Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department visits Jack Rabbit's palace and Andy enters the zone. James's friend Freddy tells his wicked cockney tale. Sarah Palmer opens up to a guy in a bar. And the mythical Billy is once again mentioned entirely in absentia. Yep. That's what happened. Season four is going to just be the story of Billy. It's going to be his alternate (laughs) adventure that he's having over the course of this, um, where he just keeps going missing. Mm -hmm. Well. Yeah. So this was an episode with few, relatively few threads. Compared to some and episodes of The Return. The only, it still managed, every episode includes a sliver of Kyle McLaughlin, but in this case, it was yeah. uh, from archival footage only. So it was yeah. still starring Kyle McLaughlin. Of mainly Firewalk With Me, The Missing Pieces? Yeah. That, yeah. that footage, I think, was in Firewalk With Me, but it was cross-faded with like yeah. a billion other things, because the version of that scene in the theatrical film is just like a crazy... Yeah, it's totally bonkers, like, yeah. ...abstract montage. Um. That scene also has some other weird stuff that we can talk about in a minute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'll I'll save it, I guess, Um, for when we get there. But overall, what do you love about this episode? I really like this episode. Yes, I did too. Yeah. Uh, Good. (laughs) I'm I'm less sort of like emotionally charged from it because it's been at this point a few days Mm -hmm. since we watched it because of our our travel issues. Yeah, so I don't, it's not as like this. You're not like, yeah, I just saw it. Yeah, but I did really, really enjoy it. I liked it a lot. Uh, it, there was a lot of stuff in this episode that felt, um, you know, that felt very Twin Peaksy in sort of a classic way while still maintaining uh, just the very specific vibe of the return, which is something that uh, happens sometimes in this season and sometimes does it right. I mean, it just seems like sometimes Lynch is not concerned with hitting that balance, which is totally fair enough. He's doing a new thing. Yeah. Um, w- absolutely fine. But, uh, you know, sometimes you get moments like the... Vegas FBI agent, you know, <laughs> screaming at his underling yeah. and then slamming the phone as it cuts him instantly. I mean, yeah. little tiny moments like that that are so pleasurable and enjoyable. Um, yeah. That doesn't speak to the entirety of the episode or anything, but it's no. just an example of the kind of little. And, you know, the whole thing with Freddy, which is ridiculous. I mean, it is so absurd, but it's right. also the kind of like gentle absurdity that is totally at home in Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's uh, this episode served as a reminder to me that as Twin Peaks progresses, 
it's often we often describe it and it's often described as something that sort of changes form from time from like era to era sort of yeah. season one to late season two to firewalk with me to season three but if you take firewalk with me and the and the missing pieces in, included what i'm about to say i think becomes relatively true which is that twin peaks is it's almost more additive than change like uh, yeah, that's absolutely it true. Carries, that's a good point. It, it keeps its past form and whatever it's in now along with it at all times. And this episode, I think, was a great example of that. Not only because it literally included Firewalk with Me, but it had things that were that felt like Firewalk with Me or the missing pieces. Or you had like the absurd window washer guy, which totally mm-hmm, that was and, fantastic. And the and the yeah. and the story of of is it Freddie? Yeah. I was going to say Freddy in his glove and then went, oh, geez, that's Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. But um, it is. whatever. Uh, or the Hulk. Or uh, he's named after a character from the Wild Bunch, actually, his, the, the fictional character is. But whatever. Oh, huh. um, that is, it feels like a total just season two new character to, to add yeah. in or something. Uh, we got it all this week. Twin Peaks seasons one, two, Firewalk With Me, The Missing Pieces, and The Return all, <laughs> all made appearances. All represented, yeah. Yeah, in Definitely. this week's episode of The Return. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to start uh, going through it? Yes. Uh, so we open up with Gordon Cole uh, calling the sheriff's department, getting Lucy on the phone, and then talking to Truman, but not the Truman he expects. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I have to say, this is um, this was one of those cases that was sort of like, uh, sort of reminded me of Truman talking to Hawk about the sort of symbol that looks like maybe the experimental model or whatever uh-huh. and, then, and then saying oh I you don't want to know what that is why one why didn't like two law enforcement officers are talking to each other why not have like a five minute conversation and be like here's everything that's said oh, here's the context of what this was here's like everything that we yeah. read from it like it might here's something that occurred to us I, even if they have no conclusions like why not give him all the information they have? I mean, yes. I understand the, the purpose of getting a snappy scene, but there are ways yeah, to yeah, yeah. communicate that that has happened without showing us a five-minute phone call. And then also, why not mention the room key? I mean, if you're bothering to mention this, like, totally esoteric, um, you know, detail that may mean nothing and may mean, like, maybe some just mystical nonsense, but may also be very important, why not mention that this room key mysteriously returned? Because yeah. he knows that it did. I felt the same way, and it's it's... A thing, it's a place where I, I personally feel like Twin Peaks The Return has kind of dropped the ball consistently, um, at least for me personally and my tastes. Yeah. I don't know. I I know, like, because this show has been so, like, like long form and so withholding uh, of of these pieces actually coming together, it still, it feels great as an audience member to see Truman and Gordon talk at all and for that information to be made at all. Yeah. But, like... When you remember back to how it felt in especially the first season of Twin Peaks when Albert would show up and Albert and Cooper would share. A serious forensic you, stuff would It happen. was just down to the most absolute detail. And it was it was also very satisfying for the same reason. But it was like the nuts and bolts are going to be laid out and they're going to line up and it's going to be a big deal that those two characters shared yeah. information. And it, it seems like they're... In the best case, uh, okay with stylizing those moments in this season, just sort of like you said, for flow or for just sort of weird dramatic purposes. But the the less charitable read on it is that they deliberately don't have the characters share all of the information so that they can keep drawing things out longer. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't mean draw things out longer in terms of like, oh, just the show's taking forever. I mean the way that a lot of modern TV does where one character share information, they'll always withhold half of it so that there's just another there's question in the air remaining. longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I don't know what the specific motivation is or anything, but I, the end result is 
kind of frustrating given that Twin Peaks has demonstrated lots of ability in the past for characters to just act in, well, despite crazy circumstances, act in, especially law enforcement characters, to act in the way that they would if genuinely presented with this information and having to make as much of it as they can. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of a bummer. But, oh, well, what are you going to do? So we go from that into uh, this, like, there's discussion of the whole history of the Blue Rose uh, cases going back to the original one featuring Gordon Cole and Albert Jeffries investigating in Olympia, Washington, uh, and finding two women, both of whom seem to be the same person, Lois Duffy, one of whom disappears, and the other of whom, like, drops a gun and is arrested for for her own murder, effectively. Um, had we ever heard anything about this before? No, I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, this seemed like totally new information. Any thoughts? <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, me too. It's kind of just like, okay, yeah, this is what they're doing now. They're talking a lot about this stuff. It's a very different thing than Gordon Cole and Sheriff Truman talking to each other, but it was another example to me of feeling like as my, as an audience member, as my understanding of the connections going on in the story and sort of of the overall history of the world of Twin Peaks as my knowledge of that and as the character's knowledge of it expands it's exciting but it's running parallel with disappointment for me because I can feel the size of the world and the possibility space of the world and sort of how wide reaching all of these things could or couldn't be collapsing down like when I think about who Gordon Cole and Albert and Cooper were at the beginning of Twin Peaks it felt like Gordon Cole's the director of the Philadelphia Bureau of the FBI, and then on the side he has these weird sort of unquantifiable right. things that are Blue Rose cases. And for all we knew at that point, the Laura Palmer Bob, th- Bob thing could fit in only because it's just absurdly violent or mm-hmm. like unknowably weird or touches too many points of jurisdiction or it does like scratch into the supernatural, but no, 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 it doesn't ne- – and, you know – Cooper is an FBI agent who's been an FBI agent forever, and he stumbles into this strange case. Mostly, I think it was because Teresa Banks crossed state lines is why it becomes an FBI case in the first place. And we're now in a place where there's one singular story thread of the story of the Blue Rose that was actually doppelgangers, Mm -hmm. that was actually connected to the Black Lodge, and every single thing is slowly feeding itself Right. Into being in service of this including, one storyline, including we get you know to the point that yeah, I mean it's it's it reminds me of sort of what happened to shows like the X Files, you know, mm-hmm. where everything gets so incredibly consumed by this one central thread that it starts to instead of making that central thread, f- instead of making the universe of the show feel sort of huge and overwhelming and like majestic, it ends up making it everything kind of. I guess, like you say, shrink down, feel a little bit tidy. Yeah. Because you start to just assume that every new weird or notable right. thing is just going to end up being folded in. I mean, to the point that, you know, and I, I don't have a strong opinion about this point in particular at this point, but, you know, Diane's sister being Janie E, for instance. Right. Or like just everything is so. Yeah. Like, I, I'm expecting condensed. now that when in, uh, in season one, when Mike 
uh, aka Gerard, was brought in and talked about how he used to have a tattoo on his arm and then he cut it off and he cries and says that the tattoo originally said mom. Like we're now edging on a, edging into a case where that could be retconned into being a reference to the mother character. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. um, the sort of other thought I have about all this is the fact that the main thread is coalescing so hard into everything being about something. It's making me enjoy all of the weird sort of scattered feathered edges of Twin Peaks season three even more because they they're sort of this everything colliding all of the things that are splattering off to the side as a result of it are to me becoming increasingly interesting in part because they are their own weird Mm -hmm. things well on that note I mean we go from the stuff we just mentioned into I think two really good examples of that Mm-hmm. Uh, the first of which is a total, I mean, presumably a total throwaway gag, which is the window washer. Yes. Uh, which was a, just one of those great, it is, this is like so in David Lynch's wheelhouse, which is great because he's also the actor on screen yeah. while this is happening, which is just the incredibly extended, inexplicable moment that because of the way Lynch treats all of his work, you can't help but think, like, is this does this mean is this something is this right. is this character out here like himself yeah. a representative of the black lodge or a saboteur or something just a like, wacky guy is it is yeah. he the equivalent of the guy boogieing out of the hallway in the pilot exactly. of twin peaks right. uh, season right. 1 and he's just probably that guy right yeah. i mean that's surely what he is he's just that he's guy he's just there to just d- disturb yeah. dis- distress gordon cole we, and also be a fucking weird goofy thing but we linger on it so long <laughs> that you just can't help it but, gets weird yeah, yeah it's wonderful i love it i yeah. love it um, that was just that was great. Yeah. And his his weird motions. I mean, he's being way oh. more aggressive. Yeah. Than than that <laughs> actual just, job. Just out of control. Requires. And it felt like the window was maybe just dry. It was just going yeah. Nah, yeah, like there was exactly. nothing. Exactly. Yeah. It shouldn't be that loud if the window has any moisture <laughs> left on it. Yeah. 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 It was so good. I just I love it. Um, that's it. It's just wonderful. So we get some more. I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk in detail about. Uh, Diane sort of talking about what she talked about. I I was kind of annoyed to hear yet another recap of the Briggs situation to Diane. Yes. Like how many times do we need to be told what happened to Major Briggs? The scene with Diane and Major Briggs and Las Vegas and Dougie Jones and Janie E was another scene in which characters are sharing information that under any normal expectation for how a human being would act, everyone would be sharing approximately twice as much information as was shared. And it didn't quite yeah. happen. Where Diane with or gave very little information about Janie E and Dougie. They didn't ask her very many questions about it. We also had seen that Diane had been texted previously, have they asked about Las Vegas? Right. That didn't come back. Then when they called uh, the Las Vegas office and they said... There's, you know, 20 something Dougie Joneses in the phone book. They didn't mention that her wife's name is Janie E, which would immediately cut it down to what, one Dougie Jones. <laughs> yeah. They have all that information and they, they didn't share it, presumably because it allowed us to get the scenes that we got out of the scene yeah. or out of that moment. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm just going to, I don't mean to be a griper about it. No, I know. It's, it's because, you know, yeah. again, it then leads to. That, amazing scene. <laughs> that outrageous scene in the FBI Las Vegas office. Yeah, incredible. The thing that was so I, I I intentionally didn't 
rewatch. Well, I did rewatch that scene at the time like three times because I because <laughs> you couldn't not. I wanted to write down his entire quote. Like I take notes right. on the things people, and I wanted to write down his quote specifically, which which is the agent says, "How will we find the right one?" And he replies, "Wilson, how many times have I told you this is what we do in the FBI?" And he's so furious. He's it's, like slamming he's stuff. Slamming. His hands going crazy. Oh my yeah. god, it's incredible. And the thing that I didn't. I didn't like carefully check because I, I like it existing in sort of a weird liminal space in my brain is was there a little bit of battlementi brush drum sort of starting to creep in at the end of that scene? I can't remember. Which is then just slammed <laughs> shut and never to return when the scene cuts. Whether it was there or if your brain correctly added it uh, yeah. in memory, it was it was it, there in spirit. Either it was there or it was or there was sound design that was very similar, or it was just the way that he was, as he was flailing around, he was right. rustling his sort of clothes and whatever else right. that were creating the effect. It, any one of those things, but it get, it had that total like, yeah, like vibe that just creeps in, and then it's back, and then back to Buckhorn. Yeah, we never see them again. God, I loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, here's a here's a question. I feel like given the things we've been excited about and not excited about so far in this episode. I liked it, Chris. I did too. Okay, good. I did like it. Yeah, I think that we've been coming across maybe as maybe as uh, negative sounding people as about haters. this as maybe we've coming across as haters. I've I was captivated by b- the entire opening of this episode. I just also had a voice in the back of my brain running saying, "Why aren't they saying things that a normal yeah. person would say?" But yeah, at the same yeah. time, like just the aesthetics of it, the performance mm-hmm. yep, of all of it, yep, yep. the characterizations on screen, all yep. really good. Yeah, I mean, Cole, even though Cole is a like a serial offender with the things we've been complaining about, like he's also just been totally on fire this season as an actual presence on screen. Yeah, I did not expect or dream or hope that or like dare to hope that we would get this much Gordon Cole and that it would be good. Yeah. Um, actually, a, a thing that before we get into Cole's dream. Yeah, yeah. Before Twin Peaks The Return showed up, there was the the sort of negative side of the speculation as to why Twin Peaks was coming back were people saying, you know, Frost and Lynch just haven't been working in a while and they just, they, they got a paycheck, da 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 That's what always one of these suppositions whenever anything I know. comes back. Uh, I would say that Gordon Cole's presence on screen in this uh, season should be like outrageous textual evidence to destroy that theory. <laughs> like... If you can't look at that and go, okay, David Lynch, all the times over the years that he said that he loves Twin Peaks and is just like literally marinating in it as much as he possibly yeah. can, including himself being on screen in basically every episode or at least the like super majority of episodes, yeah. always participating in or like bringing uh, in his own acting major like great performances aside mm-hmm. from the fact that he's directed all of it. Like, yeah. anyway, he clearly loves this shit. Mm-hmm. He's so into it. Mm-hmm. I, I rewatched recently some of the uh, material from Louis C.K.'s show, Louis, mm-hmm. the th- I believe three-episode arc in which David Lynch plays a CBS producer uh, evaluating whether the Louis C.K. character has the chops to replace David Letterman right. on Late Show. And uh, I, I, I remember at the time, I, I think that arc is one of the greatest pieces of television in like I don't know the last decade easily uh, and um, I remember reading about reading Louis C.K. talking about trying to get Lynch to do that and Lynch was very reluctant and you know as someone who does not is not an actor and doesn't really like think of himself as an actor uh, you know he was just not 
he had to be really persuaded uh, to do it. And it, it was an utterly brilliant, inspired, incredible casting choice. And as, you know, as someone who had seen the entirety of Twin Peaks and done a podcast about it and enjoyed, you know, in to the extent that he was present in that show, his, his characterization of Gordon Cole, it was fun to watch because he, that character is absolutely not Gordon Cole, um, but also has some of those sort of uh, big uh, blustery mannerisms sure. that Cole has just because that's, that's what how David Lynch, Lynch would, that's yeah, just what he does. Exactly. But, but the difference in how it was characterized really does suggest this is someone who, who does know how to intentionally uh, modulate and present himself on screen in an intentional way, right? He's not just, quote, playing himself in a sort of, like, mm-hmm. um, meaningless sense where it's just, oh, it's just David Lynch being David Lynch. No, he's making intentional choices. And uh, he hasn't done much of that in his life or career, right? And so, and that wasn't that long ago. And I wonder if there was any part of him that felt as an actor, not not a writer or director, but because he didn't write any of that material, um, but purely as a screen actor, which is not something that has been a big part of his career, was sort of reactivated by that experience. Um, oh, like maybe made him think, oh, maybe I can do it. Yeah, or just like would be interested in, yeah. or like the, just had it on his mind. I don't know. Uh, it's really worth watching those those episodes, um, both because of Lynch's performance and also because of just the overall like writing and conception of the whole thing, which is amazing. But uh, but it's, I, I don't know. I just, I, I by complete coincidence, I ended up on some of that stuff on YouTube the other day and was thinking about that, given what a huge presence Cole yeah. is in this season of Twin He's Peaks. like, he's basically our Cooper surrogate. Yeah, yeah he is. Including he is. him jumping into the room in the middle <laughs> of- time. Yeah, in the middle of Albert's Coffee Blue Rose explanation and just give it a huge thumbs up. Like, he is yeah. the provider of that meme. Yeah. Like, the classic- like just looping Cooper Jeff of him giving his dream. Yeah, it's just that guy. Yeah. yeah, it's it's Cole this season, which is weird and yeah. unexpected, but uh, he's doing a good job. Yeah, and also he has dreams. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you. Sorry, this is getting this is no. digressing so much from the episode, but it is funny that he is that character, given that. I mean, it, it, you could almost read that as sort of like a narcissistic thing, right? I mean, the character that everyone wants to see, or you know, that a lot of people have been clamoring to see return. Uh, Lynch is just playing. He's just like, nope, I'm that now. Uh, but ex- except that, except which you know, I think is that it, that that is not my take on it because yeah. what he, Colin McLaughlin himself, uh, even though he wasn't in this specific episode, but in, but in general, is just an absolutely massive dominating force. I mean, Cooper. I mean, uh, Cole gets the that sort of replacement Cooper role but then Kyle McLaughlin as not just Cooper but these other sort of versions of Cooper is given just an absolutely monumental task yeah he's he's sort of the actual he's still obviously the main character and also the most consistently sort of episode stealing actor Mm -hmm. of this of the season yeah in multiple roles I mean it's kind of amazing and you know I had always hoped. I mean, I, I said earlier that I dare, I didn't dare to hope that we'd get this much Gordon Cole. But I had also, but separate to that, I'd sort of, it, it tracks that in Twin Peaks, Hawk is the person who's trying to find Cooper, and and the FBI, Gordon Cole is the person who's trying to find Cooper. Because if, just looking back into the original two seasons, when you think about who Cooper's like closest connection was, like the, I always think back to like scenes like the occasional moment where the those two characters were Gordon and uh 
Cooper would like would give a thumbs up to each other or right. pat each other on the back and yeah, stuff, yeah. and it make it it tracks that if the plot yeah, totally. that they want to have is this, it's going to be Cole, and on the other side, sort of the person digging around into the lodge would be uh, Hawk, or especially, maybe or maybe Andy. Who's to say? Well, yeah, especially in the absence of the original Truman, yes. in the absence of Harry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In the in in a world where that actor wanted to come back, it would be Hawk and Truman, which would be outrageous. To, yeah, that, I'm uh, so sad that we even, didn't get to see don't even, don't, let's old, not old Truman. So sad. Uh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if you heard, uh, but he's sick. I did hear that. He's in the care of the doctor. Yeah, I wonder how, I wonder if you've heard that. I have. Okay. Anyway, you want to talk about Gordon Cole's dream? Yeah. I had another Monica Bellucci dream <laughs> last no, night. Another one. Yeah. <laughs> Which gives, you know, that was so wonderful because you get you get Albert's face of just, oh my God. It's, you know, I mean, just yeah. like, are you serious? Can we fucking cut it with this? Uh, but then we go to a dream in which actual Monica Bellucci is there yeah. in the dream. Incredible. She'd been announced as a character in Twin Peaks for a oh, long I had, time. I had totally forgotten she was that, one of the so people, I didn't, I, when I yeah. heard that name, I didn't think of anything. I, even even knowing that, it didn't matter because I sort of had been like, oh, is Monica Bellucci going to show up somewhere? Like, uh, da 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 Okay. She's playing yeah. literally herself in yeah. a dream that Gordon Cole had. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Wally Brando's weird walk-on cameo has been one-upped and destroyed by mm-hmm. literally Monica Bellucci as yeah. herself. You know what I really like about that detail? I mean, we were kind of talking about how a lot, some of what this season has been doing has been sort of to shrink the world by way of um, allowing the Central Lodge narrative to put its tendrils into literally everything. You know what I like about this dream is that it kind of, I think it actually puts some of this stuff back in more of the early season one context where it's not, I, I mean, unless Monica Bellucci herself, the actual person is somehow legitimately like a crucial component of the lodge and all this. Stuff. That's but like the I, Austin Powers version of right, Twin Peaks. Yeah, that is not, my assumption is that that is not the case. My assumption is that this is a, the, getting into the zone that the original, that in the first several episodes of Twin Peaks were back when, you know, episode three or whatever it was, was actually called Cooper's Dream. Mm-hmm. And the existence of this place was not like necessarily a physical alternate reality, but in, but a, a sort of subjective dream state. And uh, we get information in the dream that is surely legitimate, right? I mean, it is actually coming from this other place. It is it is real actionable um, kind of visions and information, but it is intermingled with Cole's own subjective, like presumably he has other Monica Bellucci dreams that are not Lodge related. I'm just guessing, like, right. given his predilections, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I really, really, really like the commingling of this like core kind of lore stuff with just the character's own state of mind, like mm-hmm. preoccupations, whatever else, because that feels ve- that feels very much in keeping with yeah. the push and pull of subjectivity and lore that uh, has always been part of this in Twin Peaks, and yep. then in this season has sometimes been in danger of being totally uh, like subjugated by. Everything is canonical lore, and it is like objectively this way. Yeah, and everything ties into everything. And I just, I really like that. It pulled back a little bit in a way. Yeah, and it was good. handled very, very well. Yeah. So you want to talk about what was said inside that dream? Because that was some of the most notable. Yeah, dialogue sure. in this episode. Yeah, I didn't write down the quote, but did you? Oh, the thing that. that oh, we uh, are like the, we are. Uh, Monica Bellucci says we are like the dreamer who dreams and lives inside the dream. Uh, but who and is lived, the dreamer? And lives inside another dream. But oh. Who, but who is the dreamer? And lives inside another dream, yeah. but who is the dreamer? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I 
have to note, I really love as both a character detail of Gordon Cole and just sort of an example of Twin Peaks's ridiculous universe building that he introduces that with, uh, then she said the ancient phrase <laughs> as though that, like, I know. that is, I love it. I love that. <laughs> it, that is total, again, totally in the spirit of Twin Peaks going all the way back to the beginning of the season where there's just, just totally unremarked upon assertion that like, oh, right. This is, this is an ancient phrase. <laughs> everyone, everyone knows that ancient phrase. It's, we yeah. are like the dreamer who dreams and lives inside another dream, but who is the dreamer? Uh, maybe it is. Maybe that is in fact an ancient phrase that, of which I am unaware. It but. was a really evocative phrase and felt totally true to so much of the sort of ethereal and ephemeral stuff inside of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, I guess it's driven kind of driven home as far as just that feeling is immediately carried forward by that dream really seamlessly transitioning into that piece of cut footage from Firewalk With Me. Yeah. Oh, that was so good. It felt so, like, vital and yep. present, and it didn't feel at all like how archive footage sometimes feels, which is that it's sort of a stopgap measure. Or, yes. I mean, I, I, weirdly, not weirdly at all. I mean, in, in, in fact, I don't know why I'm saying weirdly. It's just baked in. But um, the lack of modern-day sort of full control of his faculties, Cooper, I think really aided how much that archive footage yep. p- hit hard, right? I mean, it was, I think, it had, it was more impactful than if we'd been had you know, a dozen episodes of current modern Agent Dale Cooper marching around doing things. And I mean, obviously, if that had been the case, maybe this would have been treated differently, whatever. But given the reality of where Twin Peaks The Return is right now, it was really fertile ground for that footage, I think, punching hard. Yeah, that moment has always been evocative, even in the original released edit of Firewalk With Me, when it's intercut with screaming, Jeffrey's yelling, do you know who that is? Yeah. Paired with, you know, the last thing we've ever seen of Cooper at the end of season two, paired with uh, the, the what Laura's told her right in her diary, has always sort of felt like that's the, the germs for the story that we're seeing in season yeah. three. Uh-huh. But yeah, like you said, having that show up now with, like, seeing full-bodied Cooper there, but then seeing Jeffries, seeing our one glimpse of Bowie this season, probably just yelling that he's not, that something's wrong with him mm-hmm. after all of what we've seen was really good. Yeah. Also... Um, whoever the person is who did the color grading on that sequence and made it so perfectly mesh, yes, make it so perfectly yes. match the digital uh, the digital footage of of uh, Cole and Monica Bellucci, it was a perfect cut. It actually ended up feeling like a reverse of Cooper explaining his dream in season one, where he's mm. where he talks about I was twenty five years older, and in that case they fake it by just putting old person yeah. makeup on Dale Cooper. But in this case, we have Cole saying I was twenty five years younger. Yeah, and. The effect was just as good because they made the footage not feel like a jump to old yep, to absolutely. like to the past. It just yeah. felt like th- I guess they shot this today somehow. Yeah, and obviously I know. really knowing like they that. didn't. And then also, I mean, not like goes without saying, but seeing David Bowie, yes, you know, knowing that he is now passed away. I mean, it that's just one of those sort of meta elements that you can't really control for. But um, that whole thing just I just thought worked so incredibly well. Yeah. And I and also, I mean, it's impossible to know how much of what's going on in season three was, you know, seeded intentionally by Frost and Lynch twenty five years ago. It's impossible to know how much is sort of implicit retconning, but I have to say the 
uh, it's unbelievable how well Jeffrey's saying. Do you know? Who, yeah. Who do you think that is? Pulling that. Pulling oh my that god! Clip out. You know what? I mean, I'm going to engage in like a kind of um, like fan speculation that I that I or fan sort of argumentation that I that I rarely do uh, because usually I don't I, I don't care. But uh, I am going to say out like flat out that what I very much hope is the case with respect to Jeffrey's observing. Uh, Cooper in that scene and, and sort of giving his warning. My hope is that it is not the case that Cooper has always sort of been some sort of like split doppelganger situation and this was all waiting in the wings somehow and this was like 100% destined to happen. My hope is that Jeffrey's presence saying, do you know who that is? is from some kind is like he is basically fractured out of time and like given the f- given that the future is the case that Cooper you know enters the black lodge is is split into some kind of doppelganger situation however that stuff happens i don't know the mechanics of how it happens right. however that happens uh Jeffries is like just sort out of, of step, out of with step, time has, has observed that that has happened. Yeah, yeah, and and is you know his warning is coming at a time in which it may not be physically true at that moment, but is speaking to like the eventual reality and may exist for the purpose of being remembered by Cole twenty five years later. Right. Like uh, you know, I, yep. That was not the thing. Nothing I just said was very well stated. But no, <laughs> I, I think that you're probably right, or if even if you're not. A hundred percent right. I think that that is, that's that's basically what I took away as well. Uh, in part, I mean, thinking about that scene with Jeffries reminded me of all the things that surround it, which is is kind of time slipping for all of those characters, especially for Cooper, because Cooper, in, right around that time, tells Gordon about a dream that he had where he can see some things from the future in the Laura Palmer case, but also right when Jeffries is appearing. Time definitely slips in a weird way because Cooper sees himself on the TV security camera in Fire Walk With Me as he sees yeah, Jeffries uh-huh. walk around him. Yep. And those two things didn't happen correctly. But then mm-hmm. Jeffries pops in and yells about there being two Coopers, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, one weird thing about this scene that's worth mentioning, uh, just because it's interesting from a production standpoint, sure. is that that's not David Bowie's voice in season three. They redubbed those lines. With who? A different actor. They redubbed it with uh, an actor named uh, Nathan Frizzell, wow. who posted a tweet saying, because he's credited in this episode as just voice, uh-huh. and someone asked him what it was, and he said, oh, you know, I, I was, I had, oh, what's his, actually his specific quote? Um, he says, uh, someone named Brett wrote him, and he said, hi, Brett, I was given the surreal task of voicing the great David Bowie in Gordon Cole's dream sequence, honored to be a part of Twin Peaks. Then... He must not have been supposed to say that because his Twitter account is now locked, and I think that tweet is erased. <laughs> oh, um, but there's there's a subtle change in his line. Wow. Um, uh, which is which? Sorry. Let me just play the audio that I kept here. Who do you think this is there? That's the original. That's the original. Who do you think that is there? That is and they, That and this got transposed. Huh. And I'm not sure why they made that specific change. Yeah. But that change was made. And also it's strange that they recast the voice of Bowie. Like, 
I saw people speculating maybe it's for legal reasons or whatever. I don't think there's a way that it would be for legal reasons. They wouldn't have the rights no, to use that, their own audio. That seems unlikely. The more likely thing to me is that we're at some point going to hear... If it were, I don't think they would have changed the word. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I, I think... I, I can't speculate as to why they changed the word, but from a production standpoint, my guess is that they wanted a voice for Philip Jeffries who's going to appear on a phone right. call or something yeah, later on. I, I think that would be my guess as well. Um, yeah. But whatever, that was very strange. I didn't notice it at first other than I thought that, that was, it, it didn't play exactly how I remembered it, but I couldn't tell because I had that, this exact same reaction, that, that scene but I didn't know how to quantify it. Yeah, that scene had also just been so scrambled because I'd seen it re- in the crazy edit of the theatrical cut of Firewalk with me way more times than I'd seen it in the missing pieces. And I thought, is it, is it a an unused take or something but no yeah. it's just a it's a re-edit which yeah. is which is very strange weird production detail of that yeah that's interesting yep oh sorry one more thing about jeffries not to just yeah. stay on the scene forever it's worth staying but on I, the, the combi- <laughs> I feel like the combined the the totality of our exposure to jeffries in this season both through archive footage and through characters interacting with him off screen, you know, through um, phone calls and what, and and just discussions. Um, it also just, I think, ties in really, really, really well to his one previous appearance in the Twin Peaks yeah. world in Firewalk with Me. I, I, it was always a very like interesting and striking choice to have him dressed the way he was dressed in mm-hmm. Firewalk with Me, right? When especially seeing him. Um, contrasted against these FBI agents in their kind of standard black suit uniform. Uh, and uh, it wor- he's he's wearing kind of like, you know, sort of like Tommy Bahamas sort of, uh, right. you know, whatever sort of vacation clothes. And, uh, or I don't know if that's the most accurate depic- sure. description of what he's wearing. He looks wearing, like a man but, of leisure in his clothes. Yeah. And I, I feel like it, it works really well in the context of the, ver- the sort of... Um, vision of Jeffries that's being painted this season, which is that he seems to be someone who has, who has like gone native in with the Black Lodge or to right. some degree is like capable of understanding and moving through it in a way that is uh, more adept than other characters we know who have been right. exposed to it. I, I don't know if that's actually accurate, the things I'm saying, but that is the sense yeah. that I have gotten from everything we've learned about Jeffries, and I feel like it it is it echoes really well uh, in the context of him being dressed in this sort of like outrageous and very visible and different way to his colleagues. Yep. In that in that one scene. Yeah. I just I just like that. Yeah, it's good. All right. So uh, you want to move on to the sheriff's department, Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department? Yeah. Chad is arrested. Chad they, is they've arre- been watching him for months. <laughs> Chad is arrested, but I don't believe that due process was maintained when Chad was arrested. <laughs> it's he was true. He didn't get his Miranda rights. Just some bad law enforcing happening yeah. this episode. Once again, Truman just doesn't mention something that should have been mentioned. Yeah. His rights. His rights. <laughs> uh Chad's going to come back on him hard. And yeah. That wacky judge is going to come back and they're going to have oh, a, man. they're going to go to court in the roadhouse. <laughs> they're going to drink more of those weird blue coffee drinks. Yep. Yeah, you know it's funny. I watched a, uh, I watched a YouTube by complete coincidence. This was I was not looking for this. I wasn't looking for anything Twin Peaks related. I was just watching like cocktail videos on YouTube for some reason. It's not even a thing I normally do. And I ended up on a video of how to create that of of someone's like 
supposition of how to create that cocktail that the judge presents and the, right. and the bartender <laughs> present. That was the fifth episode of season two, mm-hmm. and the drink was called the Black Yukon Sucker Punch. Okay. Yeah, and the I, f- I found, the video that I found was by Cocktail Chemistry on YouTube, and the name of the video is just recreated Black Yukon Sucker Punch from Twin Peaks. And it's a really fun video. It's like a, a huge amount of work goes into recreating that blue foam and sort of using the shot of the bar to um, sort of reverse engineer what would have been like based on the ingredients. <laughs> What's on the shelf of yeah. the of the, of the well, because there's a coffee yeah. maker on there. And yeah. There's like stuff on there that's like, oh, okay, this actually makes sense in the context of the drink. You can hear a blender in the background like in that scene. So she was probably right. using that. Anyway, it was fun. Why Why did I bring this up? I already forget why this came up. Whatever we're talking about the judge and uh, oh right right Chad's Chad's rights being violated yeah so anyway that guy will return with a black Yukon sucker punch and and uh, get get Chad probably even more arrested uh, so it will in fact be Freddie who returns with the uh, Yukon sucker punch <laughs> that's true he'll crush he'll the drink <laughs> in his glove and then punch Chad through fifteen yeah, walls that's that's true Chad's yeah. face will collapse in in the way of uh yeah. of Mr C punching that guy in that bar with the huge or in the, of the in that shed with the huge TV in mm-hmm. Montana it's true it's all coming together Chris oh, it this all makes week. sense so whatever now that Chad's out of the way Jack Rabbit's palace mm-hmm. yep we get a a particularly long we get a particularly extended uh exterior drone shot of the misty forests. Yeah, which is the prelude to one of the nicest looking sequences. Yeah, it was very beautiful. Just, it's really good to be out in the woods for an extended period with, like, it's been a while since there's been a Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department romp through the woods of Twin Peaks looking real nice mm-hmm. uh, as everyone just sort of sneaks around. And we got it this week and it was really, really, really uh, beautiful. Yep. Did you, did you, um, when I was watching some of those early shots of of, of that mm-hmm. sequence, it seemed to me that there were shots of trees where you get bits of electricity, sound, foley sound. Did you get that? I think that that was the case, and I think that there was even one insert shot of a power line running through the woods yeah. at that okay. point. Yeah, right. I think it was some of the I same. I wasn't sure. Yeah, it was. I think there was a little bit of light bzz, bzz in there. Yeah. Um, so they get to Jack Rabbit's Palace, which is a massive fallen tree, a massive stump yeah. of a fallen tree. Uh, it's a cool dramatic looking thing. What's yeah. funny about that is there was, or what I thought was notable, there's a shot when they are regarding it mm-hmm. and the camera does what I think of as a very um, sort of typical modern move to indicate majesty with the camera, which is to sort of push in as it angles upwards yes. slowly. And I I remember seeing that and, and at the time thinking like this feels like almost sort of a cliche of a shot, like I don't. It feels yeah. doesn't feel like Lynch usually doesn't indulge in this exact kind of thing. But then I remembered uh, someone on the forums posted a really great comparison of that tree stump against the uh, big tower in the weird the sort ocean. Of the sort of purple, yeah, the purple weird ocean with. Uh, the giant, or I guess the fireman, nay, the giant, and um, it's where Cooper did his ended up transferring yeah. back to Earth and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it felt, and it, I'm like, oh wow, that is a great little visual echo. It looks really. You could probably play those two shots on top of each other, and the timing wouldn't be right, but the sort of feeling of the compositions yeah, 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 they yeah, they yeah. evoke each other really cleanly, yeah. uh, which which is cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it I liked it. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Yep. 
this also just felt very classic Twin Peaks to me that the that this special place is some like seemingly arbitrary landmark that in itself is not. This was a case where I liked that in contrast to all of our sort of grumblings about Truman not saying anything that seemed relevant. Yeah. This was a case where I it, I am it makes total sense that Bobby never said just so you know Jack Rabbit's Palace is just like a tree stump. Uh, yeah, there's no reason. Right? Because he obviously, given the circumstances and given what he knows about his dad, no, it's, like, it's, it's, that, is, that is in itself, oh, okay, well, that means nothing. Like, it means... You know, it, it doesn't matter because from a sort of yeah. human scale standpoint, it's all outrageously meaningful and gigantic right. that it's happening at all. It could have yeah. been just... They could have been... Like some rocks in a circle in the Ex- dirt, exactly. and it would have yeah, been yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. Instead, there's also some rocks in yeah. a circle in the dirt with and, a pool in it or whatever. Right. But, and and this this was super fun because you also get just what has become sort of a classic thing with Bobby in this season of the show, in which he has this sort of like little. I don't want to say I was going to say smirking, but I don't I don't mean self satisfied. More of it's his like, sort of bemused. He's like surprised in to himself, just like huh. This like hmm. he's surprised, yeah. but also knowing. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like a knowing surprise where he's he's just startled. Things are starting to mean things to yeah, him in a way that he startled, didn't understand. But he's like, well, of course, like of course, this is what. Yeah, you know, and it he gets to sort of enjoy that while his colleagues just have no idea, obviously, what really is what is going on at all. Yeah. Um, and that's that's nice. I I liked all that stuff. I thought it was really it yeah. Uh, it plays well. so well. Just the parts of the story of Laura Palmer and are uh, just the parts of the story of Laura Palmer that Bobby touched over the season one are so specific and really different from the rest of the sheriff's department and really different from the rest of Twin Peaks. Like yeah. by being personal friends with Laura, but then his dad operates on this completely different echelon of all of it, and then Bobby, like him ending up being the one who connects all of that stuff together really personally is it's it's cool yeah yep um so it's cool i say it is cool i don't know i don't actually specifically have a lot of um no like sort of conclusions or observations about these these scenes in Mm -hmm. you know once andy enters uh, the zone, the zone, or whatever we call it. Uh, I really like quite a lot that it's Andy who goes out of, out of all I of really the characters. Liked I liked it a lot. It really, it, it echoed back to some of the cheesier, in my opinion, stuff in Twin Peaks season two about what is the White Lodge versus the Black Lodge and who is able to enter it and who isn't. Sort of the sort, all of the sort of like when it was tied to Glastonbury Grove and it was that sort of like arterial, the true of heart may enter and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Andy being the one who goes down to comfort this random woman that they find in the woods and him holding her hand and just like... Were you saying Arthurian or ethereal or did you combine those words into I, a Oh, I meant to say Arth, Arth, King Arthur. Okay, okay. Arthurian? Is that what that is? Or how is that? What is Arthurian. that? Arthurian. Arthurian. Yeah. That's the word I meant. Yes. Arthurian. Andy basically just being a true of heart good guy in that moment and then him getting sucked up into the zone. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. As it is canonically known. Yeah. By us enthusiasts. <laughs> uh, no, I, I really, I enjoyed that choice. I really appreciated that yeah, choice. Yeah, and I don't know what to make of all of the things that, I guess, the giant who is now, who was missed question marks and uh, is now the fireman. The fireman, yeah. He showed Andy what looked to be visions of the past and maybe the future. The stuff with Andy and Lucy was footage we've never seen, but was clearly from the yeah. return. Well, I'll just let me just list what, okay. what he sees. So he sees the experiment. Mm-hmm. Or the experimental model, uh, Bob, 
the gas station from episode eight, mm-hmm. uh, a woodsman saying, got a light. The That classic screaming high school girl who yeah. uh, showed up at the beginning of this season, as well as obviously was in season one. In the pilot, yeah. Um, the uh, We see Laura Palmer flanked by angels. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Nido, who is the woman on the ground, like who we saw earlier in the season is all and is also like on the ground outside Jack Rabbit's palace. She's right? the yes, she's the woman who I think her face was more sewn up when we last saw her and now it looked like now it was, it was open, like wounds. open wounds. But yeah. she's the one who's ambiguously helped or hindered Cooper during right. that stop motion yeah, yeah, sequence yeah. where uh-huh. she told him not to go into the outlet when it had the different number on it and they climbed yeah. up and she just jumped off a yep. ledge and disappeared and then that's at the same time as we saw Major Briggs say blue rose. Right, yeah. Uh, and now she's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then, so we see Nido. I don't, I don't know if that's how to pronounce her name. Nido. Uh, we then see a sort of flashing of both Coopers mm-hmm. uh, back and forth on a on the curtain, right? Yeah, I, I think I think they're against the whatever. Yeah. Um. We see a uh, phone with a light on yep. it. We see Andy and Lucy. Uh, we see Andy with Nido, and then we see the telephone pole labeled six that we have it's obviously occurred a number of times in Twin Peaks. I think twice. Just twice? I think it was in Firewalk With Me and this season. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and that's what we saw. Andy seems to divine quite a lot of meaning from this. I mean, in the way that a dream works where whatever the actual visceral experience is versus what your brain knows that any of it means, it seems like Andy comes out of it mm-hmm. with some sense of understanding. Yeah. And everyone else seems that it seems to have slipped their mind that anything happened. Right. Almost, they can't really recall. Which yeah. is the second time in this episode that that happens because, uh, Gordon and Albert talk about not even really remembering Jeffries until Gordon remembers his dream. Right. And yeah. Goes, I, I, and like, goes, uh, I like that detail that, that Albert, Sort of says, "Oh, I'm starting to remember this." Right, I really like that. That that kind of fits in with what I was sort of speculating about of like the reason for Jeffrey's. I mean, reason is maybe too strong a word, but like you know, Jeffrey's appearing there is in part so it can be remembered 25 years later, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. I mean, that seems like it kind of works. Yep. But, yeah. Hey, it 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 seems you know also characters. I like that it puts he, normal human beings on Earth's comprehension of this place it pushes it back into being dreamlike like when cooper first experienced that stuff a very similar thing happened where he woke up and immediately recalled as much of it as he could but he also forgot pieces of it like laura whispered in his ear and told him who killed her yeah that information was lost and pieces of it faded and then came back over time and we're seeing that happen again yeah um Although we can counter that by explicitly having Sarah Palmer take her face off in real life later this episode. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's I liked that all of this stuff was sort of slippery dream logic where people are remembering things that they don't see and not remembering any of it at all. Like just mm-hmm. that stuff felt super Twin Peaksy. Yep. I agree. Also, I really like that just ah, it's so good that Andy comes out of it sort of infused with this calm sense of purpose and understanding even if he doesn't know tangibly what any of it means yeah it it, it was nice both in for the um, you know for the kind of Arthurian sort of like pure of heart kind of stuff you were suggesting earlier it was nice because um, of everything you just said just now and it's also nice for kind of a very the very simple 
totally non-mystical, non-lore reasons for me anyway, that Andy, you know, Andy has stuck around as this kind of mid-level figure in the sheriff's department for decades now, and it's nice to see him get to take charge of something conclusively and have his, what, you know, he has, he, there are certain qualities he lacks as a sheriff's deputy that are, that are known to all, but there are also qualities he has, which is that he cares about people. I mean, he just like straight up really is like deeply empathetic. Unending kindness. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that was allowed to um, put, go into direct action, Mm -hmm. you know, as he carries the woman and uh, down and, and, you know, Make sure she's comfortable yeah. and so on. The um, when we return when we return from oh one one other tiny detail about that scene before we get to the end of it, the vortex that Andy sees uh, has a big white light color in the middle of it uh-huh. because it's I, I think it's the sort of little carved out hole in the ceiling of the room that he was in. I saw people point out that the uh, the one that Gordon Cole saw because this is the second time we've seen one of these huge vortexes, yep. had a huge black circle yes, in it. And this one true. has a huge white yeah, circle in it. And people true. have said, is there actually a black lodge and a white lodge confirmed for right. the first time? Because right, right, right. we've we've sort of seen those portals lead to two different places, one of which was, yeah. One of which was the woods, the sort of place the, we associate with the woodsman. The woodsman on that staircase that looks very much like the place above the convenience yep. store in Firewalk uh-huh. with me. And this one now has was in that old movie theater inside yep. of the, the sort of pink ocean. Uh-huh. So maybe they are two totally discrete places, but maybe they also just interconnect through each other and it will, yeah. we can't tell. But, yeah. Yep. Um, when we come out of that sequence, it's um, we see all of the sheriff's department milling back to Jackrabbit's palace from the place that was, whatever, 200 meters away. And it looked very much like the f- um, like the woodsman yes, milling around the, 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 gas, the, the convenience store. The gas station. Same whatever. thing, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, where they were sort of milling around and cross-dissolving inside of each other. I think that it was actually just showing them arrive over and over again in a time in a sort of looping step way. I think way. that's what it was as But well. it was really yeah. evocative of that same yep. uh-huh. of that same motion. Um, what does it mean? <laughs> TVD, if yep. anything, but yep. uh, it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I declare it cool. Everything in this episode I just think is cool, Chris. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool episode of Twin Peaks. Uh, we, so... <laughs> Uh, I'll just for for the record, I'll just state what Andy says, which uh, when he when he returns with Nido, he says she's very important, and there are people who want her dead. Don't tell anybody about this. Uh, I liked the uh, terseness of yep. that delivery. Um, so anyway, they take her to a cell for her own protection, and don't tell anyone about this. I'm going to put her in a cell next to Chad. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think Chad. Chad doesn't care. Knows can, has enough comprehension of anything. To Chad is a master of lodge lore, Chris. Oh, that's true. He kept Wyndham Earl CD-ROM. Yeah, as, a, as he found <laughs> it as a boy. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, uh, I this was a this was a very uh, I thought this was a good good weird scene. This long scene of uh, the woman emitting what sound kind of like monkey sounds yeah kind of like weird breathing mixed with monkey sounds yeah uh and then chad bewildered by that and the other inmate who has just a dripping disgusting bloody jaw yep um repeating everything he hears whether it's uh the sounds coming from nido or 
uh, the protestations of Chad. Yep. Um, I was. It was weird that that guy was in jail and not being given medical attention. Yes, that was that a was very notable, strange. strange thing. I think he was just credited as drunk as well. Mm. I saw people speculate that maybe that was Billy, but that's not what same, that's not what the credits confirm. Yeah, I had the same thought watching it, but I don't obviously. I mean, maybe we'll know. Yeah, We're now at a point. Speaking of that, actually, people used the credits early on in season three to name characters yeah, and figure out who people true. were. But as the before there was any way to know yeah. from the text of the show. However, as the season's gone on, there have been characters who have been renamed or had last names added onto them, or who went from uh, unknown characters to named characters mm-hmm. over the course of the season. So yeah. even though that guy's named drunk now. He might be named someone else. Yeah. He may well on. be Billy. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way the way that all those characters played off each other was was good. It was actually. Did, were you reminded of the scene in early Twin Peaks yes. when when Bobby was in jail barking like a dog yeah. in that in those yeah same Bobby cells? and Mike yeah Bobby and Mike yeah uh, just that weird animal sounds coming yep. from people yep. Um, also, that guy repeating to unsettle another yes person in yeah. jail. Basically, the, also the the guy with the drip, the the blood dripping out of his face, repeating anything that anyone else said, and seeming to have no consciousness beyond that was obviously evocative of Dougie, mm-hmm. uh, who does that. So maybe you know, maybe that guy's gonna. He's actually Billy, but Billy's in the lodge right now and turned into right. a ball and right. whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we um, from that we cut to the Great Northern and learn that James. And his English pal Freddie mm-hmm. are security guards uh, employed by the Great Northern. Yep, and <laughs> and Freddie has a weird situation. And yeah, we learn this outrageous story about Freddie <laughs> Freddy. and his gardening, his permanently now permanently attached gardening glove, uh, which was which to which he was led by the being we now know as the fireman. Um, and which gives his right hand the power of a pile driver. Um, yeah. He was told to come to Twin Peaks, Washington, where he will find his destiny, and here he is working as a security guard with James and telling his delightful tales in a ridiculous Cockney accent. I don't understand why this man was cast the way he was. It rec- oh, do you want to know why that man was cast the way he was? Oh, it's a good story. It's good. I looked this up. Uh-huh. He was cast because he uh, does YouTube videos that went viral about all of the accents that he can do, and oh David Lynch God. saw one. I, Not knowing that about him, I did not find it a particularly convincing accent. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's got, I mean, given what you just said, I'm sure he's got great breadth. I'm sure he can do a lot of different accents vaguely convincingly, but I was not convinced by this specific one, I must say. Um, It kind of reminded me of Ian Buchanan. uh, He was born in the East End of London in 1992, says his website. Yeah. Well, then he's just then he's just playing it up in a way that, that, that I, that I, you know what? That actually is, that actually does kind of remind me. Uh, even more than of Ian Buchanan as uh, Dick Tremaine because yeah. Dick Tremaine is, what is he supposed to be? He's supposed to be English, right? He's a, Maybe. Th- the character, I mean, the actor who plays him is Scottish. And I remember seeing him in that show and thinking, God, there's this guy, this feels like a total put on accent. And it, I mean, it is. It is. A Scottish accent but he has is, a very, different is accent. very different yeah. than the accent he's doing in the show. But yeah. it's from a, place that is you know he would have obviously grown up 
knowing probably a lot of English people and hearing that accent yeah. a lot. And But the, the weird effect felt like Uncanny Valley to me. Mm-hmm. And so does this one, even though I guess it's not. I guess it's real. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he has that accent he in probably real does, life. He probably I'm sure does he not does have not. that accent. I feel like he's, he's putting it on. But anyway, my point is kind of that it actually sort of fits into... The, oh, the like existing, um, yeah, when, temp like existing possibilities. Yeah, talking about Peaks, you know, I mean, it's like sense of the um, of Great Britain. You know, I can't remember where this this sort of sentiment where I first read it. It might have been in a poem, but the idea that like when you turn twelve, you're not just twelve years old. You're also the the you who was eleven and ten and nine and eight are still inside of you. Uh-huh. And uh, I was saying that at the beginning of this episode, Twin Peaks season two is still inside of Twin Peaks yeah, season three, it is definitely still, including <laughs> including Freddie, the green gloved guy, uh, yeah, the green gloved Cockney pile driver. When when we were watching this, uh, and he showed up, Dana, uh, Dana, my wife said, "Oh, he's just going to arm wrestle Mister C." <laughs> uh, yeah, that right. I mean, <laughs> what else is he there for? Yeah, we, we last have, episode we see an outrageous we uh, get, uh, eyes punched out of a skull. <laughs> no, and this time we have a character with with ridiculous. Uh, so I saw someone on the forums. I think they were saying this derisively, and I'm sure that it won't happen. But it totally cracked me up. They said, "Oh well, he's going to team up with Nadine, and they're just." <laughs> And they're gonna just go to war against God. against Mr. C and the woodsman armed with golden shovels. Yeah. Like that's the end of this. Oh it's just God. it's gonna be like a Game of Thrones Twin or uh, or Walking Dead ending where all of our superhero super strength yeah. characters yeah. G- tie in with this stupid MacGuffin golden shovel and then beat the shit out of a bunch of supernatural characters. Twin Peaks now <laughs> un- unequivocally canonically features three different characters with super, with strength. super strength in their arms. I know. That we're, is that is a fact. Yeah. I we're gearing up for what is the true the true finale of the Twin Peaks cinematic universe yeah. that fans yeah. uh, have been craving for years, <laughs> the team up event. Oh man. Wow. Uh it it all belongs. When the when the woodsmen show up and take over Dr. Jacoby's radio show, Nadine, his number one fan and customer, and this green handed super strength guy have to go take him out. It's canon. Yeah. It might be. I mean, it may well. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. The odds, of the, the odds of the woodsman showing up on Jacoby's radio show, not zero. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, anyway, so James asks him, wow, why you? And Freddie says, why me? And then the, 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 in his accounting, the fireman says, why not you? Um, yeah. Why not him indeed? It's weird that he has a crystal crystal clear memory of his of this event, whereas most people don't remember any of this stuff. It may well be the I mean, yeah, that sure, but you know who knows? It may well be the case that he didn't remember that, like he remembered bits of it as he was acting them out, yes. and like you know, I don't know who knows. Also, but, yeah, another example of, of the world getting much smaller. This random character also was visited by the giant and told to go to Twin Peaks and given a super strength. Yeah, arm. I know. Like I know, everything's right? related. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. If Nadine goes. <laughs> Oh man, I had a dream, and then yeah. I had super strength. Like that's if, true. That's true. You know, in one sense, this is very Twin Peaks in the sort of ways that I that I was saying earlier, and in another sense, it is very much a break with how Twin Peaks would have done this in the past. Yes, which Nad- would have been just here's a wacky character. Nadine just regresses to a teenager and gets super strength, yeah. and we're never told why, and it's just yeah. another. Who knows what what where that came from yeah. or where it could lead? Yeah. It doesn't matter. It just sort of loops into the yeah. story and outwards. Yeah, this case in this we are told everything verbally is connected exactly why. Um, like yeah, yeah. Speaking of everything is connected, James then goes into the mm. warehouse of the Great Northern because yeah. why does he go in there? 
Oh, because it's his job. He has to check the furnaces. Oh, he just has to check the furnaces. But then he hears what sounds like the same weird hum. Yeah. The, the ringing, uh, sort of ringing. The ringing, hum, yeah. the ringing hum that Ben, uh, is it uh, Beverly? That yep. Ben and Beverly uh-huh. yep. had heard. Ben and Bev. Uh, and then he starts to follow it to a door, and then we cut dramatically. That location seemed familiar to me when I saw it. And then I went on the forums, and other people said it seemed familiar to them because it reminded them of... The end of the European version of the Twin Peaks pilot. Wow. Which uh, Deep cut. And I'm not sure if it's literally the same uh, location, like if they shot that up in the Pacific Northwest. But it, in the, in the, uh, there's like an extra 15 minutes or so of the, of the Twin Peaks pilot that was shot. Maybe it's a half hour. I'm not sure. But whatever. There's extra time uh, uh, from the original Twin Peaks pilot that was shot for release in Europe as a TV movie in which they encounter both Mike and Bob not – as supernatural log spirit log lodge spirit slash doppelgangers as we know them now, but just sort of kind of as two guys who have some weird connection to the dream that Cooper has. Um, but they go and try to arrest Bob in what I think is the basement of the hospital, and it is this crazy boiler room full of mm-hmm. big yellow pipes and steam emitting things, and uh, he's got a little circle of dirt on the floor that has one half of the mm. friendship necklace in it, I think. And as they're about to arrest him, Mike pushes past them and shoots Bob in the head. Um, and that location, which never appears in mainline Twin Peaks under any circumstances, looks so much like this that I wonder if they went back and just used that That's same really location because they were in the same wow. town or yeah. what. Yeah. Maybe they didn't. I didn't I didn't go online to look up enough whether or not people had positively identified it as the same space. Like I tried to take some screenshots, but the angles, it's hard to tell the angles sure. and lighting are so different that I yeah. feel like the support poles relative to some of the big devices are the same. But either way, um, if it is the same set, there's no way it was meant to be the same location because in this case, it's the basement of the Great Northern and in the pilot, it was the basement, I think, of the of the hospital, of mm. the morgue. Yeah. But whatever. It, yeah, was, it, was an, it was an interesting... I mean, that's the kind of thing re- that Lynch loves generally, oh, whether yeah. or not it has a direct plot yeah. sort of connection. Whatever even means have a plot connection because that episode is not. <laughs> get ready, get ready though. Uh, if that is the same location, to see footage from the European pilot come back where we get a glimpse of Bob hiding in that basement. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> God. Uh, anyway, that would be crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, that was uh, we're characters between Andy and uh, James. We now have characters who. I mean, I guess it's happening to Ben and. Uh, to Ben and Beverly as well. A lot of characters in this in this season of Twin Peaks who never touched on any of these parts of the world Definitely, yeah. are now yeah. creeping increasingly close to it. Yep, um, for sure. I guess that's a good way to transition to Sarah Palmer. Yeah, that's very well <laughs> said. Uh, so yeah, Sarah Palmer at the Elks Point number nine bar. Yep. I like that name and I like the sign. Yeah, we got a new Twin Peaks neon sign, mm-hmm. uh, bar sign. Yep. Yeah, she orders a Bloody Mary guy at the end of a bar in a ponytail and a cap wearing a shirt that says truck you sees her did you think that was leo for half a second no that never occurred to me that's funny though <laughs> yeah I, yeah and then i had to go oh, yeah he's not in this no he comes over to her gives her a bunch of hassles her a whole bunch uh yeah she kind says, of just starts starts basically basically propositioning her and then right. she and then having just an immediate like aggressive reaction yeah. to her disinterest uh, she replies, "I'll eat you," which is an incredible. I had to, I had to immediately rewind that because she she delivers it really. Yeah, down, she downplays the delivery. So and I good. I had to immediately back up ten seconds to. Be, did I just hear what yeah. that was? Oh my god! 
that she opens her face in the manner that we've now seen. That Laura did. Laura did and says, do you really want to fuck with this? Which yeah. Is just, oh my God. Yeah, that uh, that happened. Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of um, David Lynch referring back to things from his own work, did you see the picture of his painting? Of a, there's it's a, like his weird sort of digital work from 2013. What, yeah. what was it called? It was like just... Uh, David Lynch, it was head number two. Okay. Yeah, from 2013. It it doesn't, it's not identical. It's different sort of composition and... and it's sort of that aesthetic of Lynch art, though, the sort yes. of black and white, sort of vaguely orb face with weirdly specific other features. Like it, right. That, that art is kind of just a gray blobby head with a very clean mouth, but it looks lit and sort of contrasted in black and white in a way that's very similar to the thing inside of Sarah Palmer's head. Right. And also just the the idea of like the full, you know, silhouette and shape of a head with the face being composited in. Yeah. Generally, yeah. It, it's just it's very Oh, and there's a hand in yeah. this picture which also there's a hand inside inside of her in her in, in the show inside of the like cavity. And then there's those head. weird sort of the sort of tendril thing that yeah. comes out and hits him in the neck. Yeah. which could have been a finger or leg or like pincher. I people had speculated when we saw that stuff in episode eight or in part eight um, of the of the roach toad of the weird bug that crawls into the girl's mouth. People had said, "Oh, could that be Sarah Palmer?" I don't. I I don't. Yeah, this maybe, lends don't this know. lends more credence to those things being connected. It but, doesn't but feel it, but they feel like yeah. anything to me. But maybe I mean I've absolutely yeah. no way to know. It's yeah. This is one of those things where. Seeing it was completely surprising and terrifying, and um, yeah, the performances were all really good. I'm v- curious to worried about what this means Me for for how they're <laughs> for how they're retconning the character know, of Sarah Palmer because yeah. I've yeah. I've liked her story as it exists so far, and they're treading on some really really dangerous waters with what this means about the sort of story of Leland Palmer and Sarah Palmer and Laura yeah, Palmer I as know, a family know, and Fire Walk with Me and stuff. Yeah. Um, that said, you know. It's given the sort of sounds in her kitchen before the way that she's been playing all of that. Like this could be a total like recent development. Right. You know, or I hope it's not a retcon. (laughs) I hope it's not suggesting something about her that's always been. I I don't know. Whatever. It's not. I don't want to actually spend a lot of time speculating about it. There's no way to speculate it. We'll either know explicitly what this means within within four hours or this will just be a very strange thing that's added to the tapestry of Twin Peaks. But. Totally, un- totally outside of the context of like what it means for the history of this character, uh, just in terms of what is on the screen in this episode, can't really say it enough because I say it every time she's on screen. But man, Grace Zabriskie, amazing! Yeah, I really feel like she played this in the like her just total low key menace when she says, "I'll eat you." Going to then the face opens, it's crazy. She like explodes the guy's neck. And then immediately, like, screams, freaks out in a way that was so convincing yep. that I was like, oh, did she, is she not even conscious of what just happened? Like, yeah, did, I don't did, think did, she is. Well, except, well, I don't know, because I don't think that's true. Because, so she freaks out in a really convincing way, like, uh-huh. really, really convincing. Bartender comes over and is mm-hmm. like, what, like, what the, hap- what the hell happened? And then she, like... Over the next, you know, 10 seconds or so, she kind of morphs from total incredulous. Yeah, like, she gets a little more sly about it. Yeah, and then she, then like by the, to- by the end of that scene, she's like looking at him dead on and saying, sure is a mystery, huh? 
Yeah, no. Like, it is not a mystery to her, definitely. I thought it was amazing. Her total arc in, in that scene, I thought she just utterly destroyed it. It was amazing. It is really reminiscent of the ways of sort of late... Late era Leland Palmer was yeah, where he gets the sly yeah, know, where like yeah. it felt like there were two people inside of Leland Palmer pulling him around and you know and how much of it was two separate entities and how much of it was a cocktail was unknown in part because when he would spike and do something crazy, it felt like a different side of Leland would do a similar thing to this where he would as- it would assert himself and he'd freak out yep. and then sort of slowly blend back into uh-huh. the mixture of them yep. both being there and him, you know, adjusting his tie in the mirror or, you know, walking away uh, from the scene. And, you know, that's not to say that what's happening with Sarah Palmer is the exact same thing that happened with Leland Palmer or with Leland, but it's it's been, it's the second time that we've seen that, that style of sort of mm-hmm. duality and sort of swirling but, versions of good and evil yeah. and the actors totally just nailing it. But what's cool is that, I mean, and again, I'm speaking totally unreal. Like, I don't want to speculate about what it means for the plot or characters or anything, sure. but just, just purely in terms of what's on screen and in terms of the actors' performances, it is a, it's a different, it's a very different take on it than than what Ray Wise does. You know, Ray Wise has this, I mean, which is also wonderful. It's equally mm-hmm. wonderful in different ways. This sort of like, he swings between the kind of melodramatic, hysterical father and the sort of sly, almost prankster, yeah. mischievous devil, whereas uh, Grace Zabriskie swings between um, almost three different, uh, sort of trying triangular points, which is the um, sort of hysterical grieving mother, the which is not as present in this season because it's been so many years. No, but her and her the, response in the bar was kind of yeah, evocative was, of was that. from yeah. drawing from that like segment. Uh, the totally um, dead inside and outside, kind of just numb to the world figure, and then the quiet menace. Like dead, looking yeah. in the eye, and like, and we sort of saw all three of those in, in that moment when she wakes yes, up, when it, she yeah, she freaks exactly. out, we'll and then sort of three, recesses yeah. down into being quiet, and then swings slowly into the like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the yeah, the and sort of creepily menacing, yeah. slightly sly version, and it's just a different take on it than Ray Wise does, and always yeah. has been. If you go back to the original run of the show, uh, Ray Wise was always he always played all parts of his character as more over the top and, um, you know, a bigger sort of more screen character. And it worked perfectly for the character of Leland Palmer. Whereas, again, going all the way back to the to the original run of the show, Grace Zabriskie has always played all like all these modes in a much more naturalistic, raw way that it was terrifying for how real and unvarnished and unscreen acting mm-hmm. it was. And and you know, they they've always played those in very different ways and they're both wonderful and it's incredible to see her like take that exact same method but then expand it out a little bit to fit this new weird dimension of her yeah. character that we don't have any way to yet understand, but um it's just I think it's incredible. I yeah. think she is like it's an. I think it's an. Given how little time in total she had, I mean, most characters on this season have very little time to do anything with. But yeah, I, her you stuff know, is so potent. She though. is just man. I, I just can't give her enough praise. I think it's amazing. Also, just as a note, uh, I wonder if Ray Wise is going to be in this show anymore. There's 
I feel like there's almost no way we don't see one more Ray Wise. Yeah, scene. right. I mean, I don't think that there's going to be very many times when a character only shows up once in this, other than maybe Wally Brando and uh, yeah, sure. There and, are a number uh, of other sort of pseudo cameos, but yeah, yeah. The Ray Wise one just didn't feel like a cameo. Leland Palmer, it, it, you know, it seems like that was setting up one of the longest loops of the show. That's probably not going to come back till the end. Maybe it won't come back at all. You're right. Maybe it won't. But no, I don't know. That stuff with I'm not declaring it won't. Uh, yeah, the, the stuff with Laura and Leland Palmer with Cooper right before he gets ejected out into the into his journey back to yeah. Earth. Yeah, felt it seemed like something that was put there specifically to come back around. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, but we'll see. Yep. So, uh, the episode concludes as often it does in the roadhouse, uh, in which we see two new, both new characters. Yep. Two new uh, characters talking about, in this case, talking about, we've, we've seen many sets of new characters talking about random characters in the roadhouse. Yeah. In this case, we, we see that again, but the characters are talking about, are vaguely meaningful because they're talking about Tina and Billy, right. who are the characters that Audrey and her husband Charlie were talking about in the right. two scenes that we've seen them right. have. So, and, the, and Tina is the mother of one of these women, the one who sort of tells this whole story. Yes. That, uh, so Megan, Tina's daughter, explains this episode in which Billy like jumps over a six-foot fence mm-hmm. at their house Runs into the kitchen, bleeding profusely. Um, the whole thing lasts like ten seconds. He leaves again. Kind of makes like I don't know. Maybe Billy is the guy in jail. I, I don't know. Maybe so. It's uh, who knows. And w- we what we also know is that uh, from a couple episodes. I mean, ago, they do say like there's blood everywhere. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Yep. Uh, Chuck in in those Audrey scenes. Chuck told Audrey that Tina was the last person to see him. And then Chuck calls Tina, and we don't know what that conversation yeah, we don't know was. What happened, but yeah. that feels like a cohesive enough story now that the Audrey story—it's been—it's been, it's been ver- <laughs> whatever that insanity was has been vaguely now verified by two characters in the Roadhouse. Still, all of this is disconnected entirely from anything else in the yeah. series of Twin Peaks. I mean, unless- I assume your implication is that she's probably not in a coma. Which she's not. I, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think she is. Yeah, just but. Why we're seeing any of this stuff and what it has to do with anything still we do not know wholly unknown. Yeah, we do not know. Um, even if Billy's the guy in the jail, so what? Like right. that's yeah, like we don't know what any of that means. If this, if you think of yeah. this as one huge jigsaw puzzle, and it's either floating off on its own, or there's one jigsaw piece that has a little bit of a guy bleeding blood that connects, and then otherwise it's still an island on its own, unconnected to the rest of the puzzle. Yeah. So yeah, we do not know. We yeah. Do not know. <clears throat> Yeah, I just don't know. Anyway, the Roadhouse is proud to welcome Lisi. Yes. We're getting so now we have three proud to welcomes, right? Because we had the nine inch nails, yeah. we had uh James Hurley, and now we have Lisi. Yep. As the uh proud to be introduced. Yep. And that's it. That was the episode. It was dedicated to David Bowie in the that's credits. That's right, that's right, that's right. Um, all right, so man, we talked about this episode for a long time. It had a today. lot to talk there about. A, there was a lot to talk about. It was a fun episode to watch, and it's a fun it episode was. to talk about. I agree. I agree. All right, well, um, thank you for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com, and there you can subscribe to the show. You can find links to uh, where we can be found on the internet. Uh, you can find a link to our forums, the Twin Peaks Rewatch forums on the idle forums is a really great place to discuss every episode of Twin Peaks to date, including uh, episodes of The Return as they air. They're really, really good threads. Lots of activity, really cool observations, discussions, um, 
you know, speculations, uh, theories. It's, it's just a great, it is a very great collection of discussion. I would highly recommend it. Uh, and you can find a link on every single episode on TwinPeaksRewatch.com to yep. its episode thread. Uh, if you uh, like the show, I mean, you can recommend it to a friend as we are wrapping up the run of Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, we're getting pretty close. Only a few weeks left. Yeah, there's actually, th- there's four episodes left, but there are three weeks yeah. left because there's episode 15 and 16, then uh, week to week, and then 17, 18 is aired as a double feature at the end. I think it's probably safe to say at this point that we're going to do an episode for 17, 18, and then much like we've done at the mid- middle of this season and when we finished our first rewatch, we'll do one more wrap-up episode. Yeah. So we haven't had a lot of time for reader mail in these episodes because there's been so much to talk about, but please keep sending mm-hmm. email in to twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net, and even if we don't get a whole lot of it in in the next few weeks, we'll definitely do a sort of conversation with mailbag episode yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah, that'd be great. So, right, I, I guess that's it. Uh, TwinPeaksRoach.com for all of this information. And uh, thanks to everyone watching us on YouTube. We've found a YouTube audience for this show that we've never had before. And it's Hi, really YouTube. Fun. Hey, YouTube. Uh, all right. We will be back next week for Idle Thumbs. I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye. 